If this sermon had a theme song, it might just be that one by Philip Phillips, the guy who won American Idol a few years ago, titled Home. I think you'll like it. Listen to this. Hold on to me as we go As we roll down this unfamiliar road And although this way that's kind of the point right there, home. Home, I was in a conversation with my dad earlier this week. He was reminding me of an article in Psychology Today some years ago that he read uh, suggesting psychologists Some psychologists say that words have an emotional value. So they do something different to our hearts depending on their emotional value. Like the word the doesn't have an emotional value, but the word love does. My dad was remembering the word with the most emotional value. Home. I don't know if my dad is remembering that right, but it sure sounds right. Home. Home, the poet Robert Frost said, Home is the place that when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Home. We'll get back to that. The sermon journey that you've been so thoroughly enjoying, I'm calling the big, huge story of your whole life. The idea is to locate our own lives in the much bigger, more expansive, unfolding story of God's goodness in the world. I read an article in The Atlantic someone sent me earlier this week titled, The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart, subtitled, Christians Must Reclaim Jesus from His Church. The author borrowed from the good thinker, Alan Jacobs, who's a professor down at Baylor, who puts it like this, culture catechizes. Culture teaches us what matters and what views we should take about what matters. If people are getting one kind of catechesis for a half an hour per week, he's talking about church, and another for dozens of hours per week, he's talking about media, which one do you think will win out? People come to believe what they are most thoroughly and intensively catechized to believe. And that catechesis comes not from the churches, but from the media they consume, or rather the media that consume them. The churches have barely better than a snowball's chance, and I edited, you know where snowballs have no chance, of shaping most people's lives. The churches have barely better than a snowball's chance, and you know where snowballs have no chance, of shaping most people's lives, which is a bit disconcerting for a pastor. And all the more reason for us to immerse ourselves in the much bigger, more expansive, unfolding story of God's grace in the world, a grace so wide and so thick and so full it can pick us up and hold us tight like a scared child on a Halloween night. The story that you're asked to ignore most of the time, you're told to shelve No one ever says it like that because that would actually acknowledge what people are trying to do when you click on that news site or watch that media source. 
it's possible that going to church, gathering around the font and at the table and around the word and singing our songs and saying our prayers is actually an act of resistance. It's actually an act of rebellion. You want to be crazy? Come to church. Immerse yourself in the true story of the whole world. The next moment in the true story, as we've been following along, comes from 1 Kings. Let me bring you up to speed, as I like to do. Christians think God made the world. He made everything out of nothing. But the catastrophe happened. We call it the fall, and we were sent spiraling in isolation, loneliness, fear, shame, guilt. The claim of the fall, you are all alone. You've got to do it all alone. But God won't leave us alone. God didn't design us to be alone. So God showed up. Here we go. God showed up to Noah with an ark and Abram and Sarai with a promise and Isaac with a ram and Jacob with a dream, Ruth with a family and Esther with a perfect moment and to Moses with a freedom journey that led the people of God out into the wilderness. But God didn't leave them alone in the wilderness. He showed up with bread in the morning and water from the rock and two stone tablets to guide their lives in the winding realities of the wilderness until finally they made it to the place flowing with goodness. So God named King David, who had a son, Solomon, who was really smart. Wise might be a better word. And Solomon built a home, a place for God to dwell, not not a place to consolidate God, to keep God in a box, but a place to announce God is here, God is present. You can rest now. That's where we pick up the story. Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and the heads of all the tribes of the Israelites and the leaders of the ancestral houses of the Israelites before King Solomon at Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. The people of Israel came before King Solomon in the month of Ephanim, which is the seventh month. The elders came. The priests carried the ark. They brought up the ark of the Lord with the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. King Solomon And the congregation of the Israelites who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen they could not be counted and numbered. The priests carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord into its place in the inner sanctuary of the house at the most holy place underneath the cherubim. For the wings of the cherubim covered over the ark in its place. They formed a covering over the ark and its poles. The poles were so long they could be seen in the holy place at the inner sanctuary, but could not be seen from outside. They're there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with his people Israel when they had come out of the land of Egypt. When the priests came out of the holy place, The house of the Lord filled with a cloud. And the priests were unable to minister there because of the cloud, for the house of the Lord was filled with the glory of the Lord. And Solomon said, The Lord has said he would dwell in thick darkness. 
I have built an exalted house for you, a place for you to dwell in forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's 1 Kings chapter 8, the first 13 verses, if you want to find it in a Bible near you or the smartphone on you. What kind of a story is this to gather around together? Our lives are complicated, and the Bible's big. Surely, pastor, I'm sure some of you are thinking, surely, pastor, there's a better story for us to gather around. I mean, for Pete's sake, there's an impending humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan, and pastor, you're the one reading the articles about the demise of the church, and I've got some stuff on my heart about my kid who's not with me now, and my spouse who's not well today, and the job I don't really like. Can't you find a better story, pastor? Well, don't just quit. Don't quit just yet. The story has something so good about God and so necessary for you. That sounds like a good way to organize ourselves for a few minutes. Something so good about God and so necessary for you. Now, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I've built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. The house King Solomon is talking about, and here's a picture of it, is called the temple. The temple built the house of the Lord, not to consolidate God, to keep God in a box, but to announce to all around, God is here, God is present, God is with you. They'd been wandering for so long, walking endlessly, waiting, wondering, will we ever get home Even as they're wandering through the wilderness, they built a tent, a a concession for God's presence, but they'd have to pack up the tent and move it to the next site every time they wandered along. Though the tabernacle, the tent, was a concession for God's presence, it was also a reminder, you're not home. You're still walking. You're still wandering. You're still waiting. Does it ever feel like that? You're just not home. I'm not talking about a building with an address. I mean rest, peace, home. I was with Marion Wiersma earlier this week. Marion's a longtime member of the Pillar community. Uh, 29 and a half years ago, she moved into uh, Freedom Village just after it had been built. Freedom Village is a retirement community that overlooks uh, Windmill Island on one side and downtown Holland on the other side. Uh, made my way to her apartment, single uh, living room with a kitchenette, a bedroom and a bathroom and a porch that overlooks the city of Holland from the seventh floor. We had a delightful conversation. Uh, Marion's husband died in World War II when their only child was four months old. Can you imagine that? Marion then moved in with her in-laws for two years. Can you imagine that? before moving into an upstairs apartment that her brother had built, before building her own home where she would raise her precious child. She never remarried. She worked a job. She's now 98 years old, looking over our lives from the seventh floor at Freedom Village. Arthritis is setting in. Arthritis is taking over. The pain is becoming intense. She's not sure if she can live there much longer. She needs more care, more support, more assistance. She said to me, I just want to be home. I just want to be home. Sort of silly. Uh, When I get home at the end of the day, 
uh, if the day works out. My favorite thing to do is to throw on my favorite sweatpants, my Michigan hoodie, to sit in my favorite chair in the living room with the fireplace, maybe watch a little TV, maybe sip on a little tea, mostly just stare off into the future. It's home. I just want to be home. Because it feels like we're wandering, doesn't it? feels like we're waiting for that moment, finally rest, finally peace, finally everything comes together. I just want to be home. I'm thinking of the teenage girl working so hard in the classroom to fulfill the expectations we've given her and she feels from us, all the while trying to navigate the realities of relationship in a world ruled by social media. She's still trying to figure out who she is on the insides, apart from her family, in relation to the world, and it just never seems to settle down. No wonder she sleeps till noon. I just want to be home. I'm thinking of the 30-something guy who's trying to be a good dad and trying to be a good husband and trying to be good at his job so he can get the next job, which he thought would satisfy his heart. But once he gets the job, he realizes it actually didn't satisfy his heart, so it must be his wife's fault, or the kids are asking for too much too often, or Maybe he should volunteer more. How come he wasn't on the 40 under 40 list that everybody talks about? It just never seems to settle down. That's No wonder he pours another glass. I just want to be home. I'm thinking of the retiree who put in her time for this. All those years working, looking for that moment when finally she could go where she wanted to go and do what she wanted to do, but now her body's breaking down and her mind isn't all that sharp and even the thought of going anywhere is a bit fatiguing. So she stays around getting mad at the neighbor's dog for barking and the college student driving too fast down the road, staring into the future, feeling like the author of Ecclesiastes, vanity. It just never seems to settle down. No wonder she's not all that pleasant to be around. I just want to be home. I went to the chiropractor this week for the first time in my life. We'll get to the point eventually, don't worry. I went to the chiropractor this week for the first time in my life. I turned 45 a couple months ago, so I thought it'd be a good time to get a physical. I wanted the doctor to look over every part of me, to know more about me than I know about me. So I mentioned on occasion it feels like my upper back can kind of fall asleep a little bit. He looked at my spine and says, yeah, you should go to a chiropractor and get your spine realigned. So I did. I made an appointment, and this week I had it. The chiropractor prefers to be called a kinesiologist. Anyway, I told him about my back, and he started torquing on my feet. Basically, he said to me, your feet are telling your back not to relax. The muscles in your back have not relaxed for a very, very long time. Your body, he said, your body doesn't even know how to relax. Ever feel like that? You don't even know how to relax. I just want to be home. The Israelites knew that deep fatigue. They knew the worry and the wandering and the wondering. They just wanted to be home. And Solomon, finally Solomon, builds a home, not to consolidate God, but to announce to them, rest now, relax now. God is here. God shows up. And here's where it gets really interesting. That house that Solomon built in A.D. 70 was literally torn down. 
torn down differently 40 years earlier when Jesus himself said, I will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Not talking about a building, but talking about his life. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ becomes the new temple, announcing to us all, relax now, rest now, home, here, in me, with me. Which is why he says, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest, home. Which is why he says, I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Home. Which is why he says, I'll never leave you. I'll be with you always. Home. Craig Barnes, in a book titled Searching for Home, he's the president of Princeton Theological Seminary. It doesn't matter where you move, how fast you run, or how many new identities you try on along the way. You can't escape the longing for home. You can't escape the longing for home, and Jesus says, home, rest, peace, relax, home, here, in me. Culture catechizes, apparently. Culture tells us what matters and who matters and what you have to do if you're going to matter. And if you're going to matter, you're going to have to work harder, you're going to have to do more, you're going to have to yell louder, fight harder, There's someone out there trying to steal your life. There's someone out there trying to steal your future. Push harder, push more, fight, yell. What if that's not true? What if that's not actually true? What if the one out there loves you, shows up for you, home in Jesus Christ? Maybe the muscles in your back can relax now. Maybe you can relax now home. I had a conversation uh, with Lynn Crydoff, a dear friend of the Pillar community. Uh, Lynn's sister, Kim, who grew up in Holland, graduated from Holland High in 1977, then moved up north before moving down to Arizona. Lynn's sister, Kim, died at age 62 just a few weeks ago, and the older I get, the younger that sounds. I got together with Lynn to hear stories about her sister, Uh, whom I didn't know but wanted to learn about. Uh, Kim loved Jesus and at the same time knew a really challenged life. Lynn told me stories about the sisters who had lots of fun and who had lots of fights. Uh, She shared with me a devotional from Henry Nouwen that gave voice to her heart for her sister Jesus is more than a story. He is a source of life and is truly able to touch you deeply so that you can go beyond the success-failure syndrome, the place where you feel so truly safe and so well-held that the ups and downs of your life aren't able to distress you or excite you, so truly safe, so well-held home so truly safe, so well held, Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.